1994, Carl Grubau was a history teacher with a few TAs and looking for a side project for them to do. Being that the U.S. was coming up on the anniversary of the Watergate scandal, they started sending letters to anyone involved in it in any way. They started receiving responses that summer, but nothing ever came of it. Nobody but Carl and maybe a few others knew what Bob Woodward or Spiro Agnew or anyone else said in response to those letters. It wasn't until this past winter that Carl dug out those files and started tweeting. Then it started going viral. I'm Alex McNamee, and this is Journalism 101. Let's write some letters. So, Carl, we're going to talk about something today that happened almost 50 years ago now, but it's something that uh, you just kind of ran back into during your retirement, like you said, going through some files and and things like that from your teaching days. We're talking about Watergate. You know, really, before I say anything, let's just have you give us a quick history of this project that you engaged a few of your students in back in 1994. Um, yeah, so I at the time I was teaching at Oak Ridge High School. I had come from the South Bay area, Santa Cruz County area, and I was at Oak Ridge High School. It was my first year there. I had taught a little bit of journalism when I was in uh, Santa Cruz County at the middle school level, but the year that I came to Oak Ridge, the, for the first couple, three years, I was not teaching journalism. So I was teaching American history and U.S. government. And I had three bright, talented TAs who were, you know, pretty busy, but not busy all the time. And I had a colleague who said, hey, you know, maybe I've given my TA kind of like this extra project. Why don't you you think about doing something like that? And I thought, oh, you know, okay. And I realized that the following summer, um, summer of 94, was the 20th anniversary of Nixon's resignation. Mm-hmm. Uh, of Richard Nixon's resignation at the, at the end of the whole Watergate saga. And so I had these students, I talked with these students, I said, well, you know, let's, let's have you guys, and this is way pre-internet. So they had to go to the library and find these guidebooks and, and track down addresses and, and try and figure out where were these people. But I said, <laughs> let's send out a simple letter to as many different people as you guys can come up with from various sources, from some of the stuff that Woodward and Bernstein produced and um, other contemporary articles from the era, New York Times, Washington Post. Let's come up with a list. Let's track down as many of these people who were in some way participants, politicians, judges, lawyers, journalists, and let's send them a very simple letter telling them that you're looking for a response to one question, what should America learn about Watergate? And so I, they probably sent close to 100 letters by the time it was all said and done, 75 mm-hmm. to 100 letters, I can't recall. But then in the late spring and into the summer, after they, as they were about to graduate and as they graduated, these, these letters started to show up and we, they began to get, we began to get responses and they were addressed mm-hmm. to them with, uh, to my attention. And they started showing up in my faculty mailbox. And 
people responded like Bob Woodward had a short handwritten response and Archibald Cox, who was one of the prosecutors responded with a lengthy response on Harvard Law School stationery. And again, probably all told close to a couple of dozen different responses mm -hmm. um, from various players and various um, participants. And so, yeah, that was sort of the, the gist of the project. The goal was, is that, you know, we'd come together and I'd take another batch of kids the next year. And we'd think about trying to do some kind of an article, some kind of an article for Okay. historical magazine or for a, a newspaper op-ed page or, you know, something kind of with a reflection on what people involved in Watergate think we ought to take from that experience. That was the goal. Yeah. But basically the letters came, my students had graduated. I had, um, my, my daughter at the time was three by November of that fall of fall of 94, my son was born. So now we had a newborn and, and long story short, these letters ended up in a file folder and they ended up in a file cabinet. And, you know, I'd rifling through, I'd see him every once in a while and go, Oh yeah, that article, I, I should kind of maybe get on that, but I, I, I just never did. Yeah. Um, and then you know, when I retired and I brought a gargantuan boatload, of, <laughs> I threw a bunch of stuff away before I got out of the classroom, but I still brought, you know, quite a bit of stuff home and then started going through it and found the file again and went and glanced at it. I pulled it out one other time, a couple, three years ago. And, but then I looked at, it, I thought, you know, in the times that we're in, this is in, by the, when I, this kind of thing came back together, it was uh, December we're in the middle of all kinds of stuff going on with the former uh, Trump administration. We're heading eventually toward impeachment. That mm -hmm. wasn't on the, uh, on the radar quite yet because it was mm -hmm. before the insurrection of January 6th, but there was lots of talk of, of, of the Trump administration. They'd been, you know, he'd been impeached for, in round one. So, so that mm -hmm. was, and I thought, you know, this stuff's pretty relevant. And then I just kind of threw together a little, a little tweet thread. Yeah, so now it's it's all on Twitter. Um, anybody who wants really specific um, details, pictures of those letters, those responses, they can find it uh, all on Twitter. But one question I had, because you mentioned kind of what the end goal was for it in doing that project. Was that always the plan or was that more a response to, oh, we actually heard from these people so we can now do something about it? I, maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I, the letters all went off into the mail, you know, old school postage, letters, yeah. licking stamps, you know, very old school. They all went out basically in a giant batch mm -hmm. um, with, you know, hope hands kind of clasped together Oh, I hope we get some responses. And, and the, you know, what else would happen would be totally dependent on if we got responses. So, right. you know, when we when we began to get them, and and you know, we, we get a little pen, a little handwritten note from um, from Bob Woodward. George McGovern had a short little handwritten response. Archibald do you remember? Cox. Do you remember who was first? Oh gosh, I I <laughs> Just don't. Just curious. Oh, yeah. I don't. I mean, because again, this is all because now we're talking almost 30 years later yep. by the time I finally got off. I finally got out of the couch and, and actually yeah. said, 
hey, maybe this is publishable. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Twitter is obviously a very different way to publish. But right. So I don't I don't know the the. In fact, when I was looking through it, one of the things that sparked this whole thing and caused a bit of a, you know, it didn't go crazy viral on Twitter, but it, it went, you know, mini viral a little bit on Twitter. I put it out there in December, didn't get a lot of response. And then um, a guy that I follow on Twitter who goes, his Twitter handle is um, Spiro Agnew's Ghost. Okay. And he's got a, his name is Greg Schneider. Um, but he goes by Spiro Agnew's ghost on Twitter. And somebody else had posted on Twitter a different Archibald Cox letter. Mm. And he had responded to it. Well, back in my post in December, I had I had tagged him at the very end because he had served as a consultant on a Rachel Maddow podcast and book about Spiro Agnew and how that all went down okay. and he had been a consultant because he's a collector of, of presidential memorabilia and he owns a big chunk of Spiro Agnew artifacts and memorabilia. <laughs> and so when this other Archibald Cox letter came out, I jumped in and said, Oh, well, here's my Archibald Cox letter. And he then, and he's got, I don't know, thousands and thousands of followers and he said, oh, that's super cool. And then, then I said, well, somehow we got to the point that I had tagged him back in December, but he just hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. Well, he went back and saw that. And then, you know, how Twitter works, he, he like retweeted and liked it. And then it took off. You know, yeah. it, was, it was all kinds of, not all kinds. There were several fairly well-known folks um, Jake Tapper from CNN, um, blank a name, pretty conservative, um, former member of Congress who, uh, uh, Republican, he liked it. He, you know, so it got, it got some traction. Mm-hmm. Um, but at, at the time, you know, we, it was like, hey, we were sending out these letters. If we get a response, yay, <laughs> we got some responses. Let's do an article. Um I'm a little busy now and my, those kids had graduated and it just ended up kind of sitting on the sidelines for almost 30 years. It's um, I mean, it's letter writing. Um, and it's, it's like you said, going to a guidebook in a library for some public information about addresses for certain people um, or certain places. Uh, but one of the things that I found really interesting um, about the letters and about the project that may seem like a little bit crazy to some young journalist today who is online and who has a crazy amount of pretty easy access to try to get people's attention. But you write these letters and you ask just one single question. You don't probe these people with you know, a list of 15 questions that some student journalist might take into some interview. You just ask one question. So I'm curious, why, uh, why the one specific question, which was what should America learn from Watergate? Was it difficult to come up with that one? And did you guys have conversations about like, you know, when we're contacting these people, we, we don't want to ask too much of them you know, what went into kind of crafting that, the mold of that letter that you were going to send? Yeah. Um, 
as I recall, again, it's been a while, but yeah. uh, as I recall, one of the conversations we had was, do we, do we dig into each person's background and sort of try and craft questions specific to them? Right. You know, Woodward, you know, what about kind of his journalistic take and, right. uh, Ron Ziegler had been, um, Nixon's press secretary. So, you know, do we fashion a, cha- a question that or two that targets, do we kind of try and individualize every, or do we just make it very broad? Hey, it's an anniversary. It's a 20 year anniversary. And, and we decided mm-hmm. that simple was better than, than more details and more mm-hmm. likely to generate a response. Um, a simple, quick, what should America learn from, from Watergate? And, and, the, and the answers ranged from single sentence answer. George McGovern's answer, I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase it, but was essentially a handwritten one sentence answer that said something to the effect of, America should learn that we should heed the constitution. Mm-hmm that the power belongs to the people, something, something to that effect. Once basically one or two sentences. Ziegler wrote like almost two full pages uh, <laughs> typed up. So we got, you know, we got very different kinds of responses. Charles Colson didn't send a response specific to the question, but sent a copy of a, uh, an opinion piece that he'd written for Christianity Today magazine. Donald Rumsfeld sent us a multi-page packet of something he called Rumsfeld's Rules, which was like his little takeaways from a career in public service. Um, so we got we got this gigantic wide range of research. George Bush and um, Ed Muskie sent us signed pictures, Classic. but but no response to the question. In a couple of cases, I think because that was generally their policy, they didn't respond to specific queries, but hey, here's a picture. So, you know, we got this incredibly wide range. And I think the, I think the simplicity of the question allowed that, that kind of wide range of response. Your responses, uh, I think on, you wrote on Twitter, you know, you kind of grouped them into sort of three different general uh, kind of response types, but you know, there were quite a few responses specifically from people who were a part of Nixon's team or like the press secretary um, at at that time that, you know, sounded so familiar to the kind of, you know, blind support that would be thrust on Donald, former President Donald Trump and, and his administration over the past four years, you know, sounding similar. Uh, yeah. What when you read back through those re- specific responses, what does that indicate to you about those two administrations and what was learned or wasn't? Well, I yeah, that was really it was really interesting to go back and look at you know where were people on the political spectrum and and could you sense that in their responses? And you know, Ziegler was a classic example. I mean, his two-page typed letter you know, he was pumping up Nixon's accomplishments. He said that Nixon's resignation was because he, quote unquote, lost the ability to lead Mm -hmm. with no mention about the criminal behavior for which Nixon was never indicted, but which he certainly could have been indicted. No mention of his of his criminality or the criminality of the people in his administration. He had just lost the ability to lead. So, (laughs) um, 
you know, it was it was fascinating. Charles Percy um, was a, a senator from Illinois who was tight with um, Goldwater from uh, Barry Goldwater from Arizona. Mm-hmm. And in his letter, he wrote about how Nixon had assured them that there's nothing in, you know, he didn't know anything. Nixon didn't know anything about the Watergate break in. But then Percy wrote in his letter that when the tapes showed that Nixon did, in fact, have knowledge of the break in, Percy said it shattered us. So, you know, there was it was really interesting to get that sort of sense from a partisan point of view that, you know, people were coming at this from a very and we don't I, I think we forget that when you look backwards after a time. You know, Nixon resigned and everybody believes, you know, he's it was an it was an ignominious end to his his presidency and everyone held him in, you know, low esteem. No, Nixon Mm -hmm. still had Nixon still had pretty substantial public support even into and after the, the period in the summer of August of 74 when he resigned his approval ratings. I could be wrong on this, but his approval ratings at that point, even as he was about to resign, were still higher than Trump's. So yeah. we forget that. Um, we forget that that partisanship was was happening then, not in exactly the same way, but it, it was present then the way that we've sensed that it's present, has been present uh, in the in the Trump administration. I want to talk about one response uh, in particular uh, from Spiro Agnew, uh, yeah. Nixon's vice president. Short statement, three by five card. What you know? What should America learn from Watergate? His response is, "quote That a mountain can be made of a molehill if one listens to media with a political agenda." Now, that's especially resonant today, and we know why. But Going back to that time, what did he mean by this? Who was he talking about? Uh, knowing what you know about Watergate, where was this coming from? This is a slight, is it not? Well, let me just say first, if for people who are keen to kind of dig into that era, and especially Agnew, um, Rachel Maddow of MSNBC, her podcast um, about uh, Spiro Agnew, is absolutely fascinating and she digs into the whole thing but but right. in some ways agnew was um was a predecessor to trump he you know one of his speech writers later was a new york times columnist william sapphire who coined the phrase but which was attributed to agnew in which he called the media nattering nabobs of negativism <sighs> and and he would, you know, he would beat up on the media. He would cast aspersions at his enemies. And in some ways, he was a a um, a precursor to 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 Donald Trump. Um, and so that, you know, his response on this three by five card is just classic. That it's classic sort of let's let's blame the messenger. Let's blame the the media that's making the mountain out of a molehill. He got it. He got indicted. Mm-hmm. He pled guilty to felony charge. Oh, he pled no contest. Sorry, he pled no contest mm-hmm. to felony charges and resigned the vice presidency. 
that's not a molehill, <laughs> but that's sort of that classic, you know, enemy of the people, the kind, the kind of rhetoric that we have in some ways sadly grown used to from exactly. Donald Trump and from some other people on that side of the spectrum. Um, it didn't start with them. Did you guys try to uh, write Nixon? We, we did. We and and in the in the tweet thread, one of the things that happened is this thing went, you know, kind of mini viral. Oh yeah, is it people people started asking about, well, hey, what about what about Nixon? What about Bernstein? What about John Dean? What about you know these other people? Okay. And the answer was is that you know my students put out probably a hundred or so, rough seventy five to hundred letters. And we only got responses from around two dozen. And so mm -hmm. they did send something off to Nixon, who by that point was in San Clemente uh, in Southern California, um, but no response. And, you know, others, Carl Bernstein, John Dean and others, um, either or they couldn't find an address. But I know we tried Nixon uh, and got no response. So so if you know, some of the well-known names from Watergate that didn't show up in in this little, you know, Twitter thread. Yeah. It was because either they, my kids couldn't track them down or they simply didn't respond. Not even a signed picture for his fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no photo for us. In 94 when you do this project and you get these responses, I mean, you essentially have an exclusive story, you know, like let's say some 20th anniversary or whatever, oral history, which are, I love to read, which are really popular. Do you regret that nothing came of this at any point down the line, not just, you know, the, the direct following year, but any, following anniversary, throwing it as a project to any of your journalism students in the future? Sure. But, yeah, you know, I, as I kind of look back, um, you know, I, I wish I'd dug out the time, but I, I was a dad with two and then eventually three young kids. And yeah, I mean, you were busy. Yeah. It's, it's a scramble. And, you know, I'm working extra gigs in the summer because I'm a teacher. I'm not making yeah. a ton of money. So I'm doing crazy different stuff in this. And, you know, it, in a perfect world, if I had car could have carved out a couple weeks, maybe to kind of craft something and that do I wish I had done that? Sure. But, you know, having done it now, 30 years late, but having yeah. done it, you know, having done it now, it's it's been kind of fun to see. I was surprised. The thing that surprised me the most about um, the whole Twitter thread and the responses to it was how people talked about how they felt like it was so significant and, and how it resonated, even though it was Watergate that they were referencing, how it resonated, you know, for today. And and I I was I was blown away by by how um, some of the, some people responded, but. Um, you know, like in in on the um, the response from um, from Cox from Archibald Cox. Yeah, he's you know his his line that I put in my Twitter feed was, "We should be reminded of the corrupt influence of great power, especially when the power is in the hands of someone who is willing to resort to any tactics, however wrong, 
to retain and increase his power. That's written in 1994 Mm -hmm. about an episode that occurred in 1974, but it just screams in 2020, 2021 to what we're dealing with now. And I think I, I, I sensed, I mean, the reason why I put the whole Twitter thing together was I went, man, this stuff is still relevant, but that was true for an awful lot of other people. Those kinds of things, some res- kinds of things resonated for, for others as well, which was, it was satisfying to see that there was, it took me 30 years to get it almost 30 years to pull it together, but it still had some impact. It still had some readership. And it's taken just as long to, uh, you know, try to learn these lessons, I guess, that uh, it obviously indicates that many have not learned anything. And we, we are still struggling with some of the same problems. There's a certain percent. I've read statistics that suggest that about a third of the electorate is friendly with, okay with, aligned with an autocratic approach to, to leadership because it's more efficient, because the autocrat is their guy, you know, who knows what all the rationale, but one of the, one of the responders, it was one of the, um, one of the lawyers who then became a judge said, one of the lessons that he learned is that you, 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 you have to be eternally vigilant. And if, if the last four years of the Trump administration and it's, um, challenges in terms of our democratic institutions have taught us anything. It's that we have to pay attention. We, we have to be watching. And, and that's where I think journalism continues to play a role. And journalism has taken some shots, some of them potentially deserved, but, but others because autocrats would rather not have the flashlights pointed at them because it's a whole lot easier to do what they're going to do in the in the dark and you know the washington post democracy dies in darkness Mm -hmm. so so it's a reminder to me that at every level of government local journalism statewide national level politics we need people who are going to hold politicians of all stripes of all political parties hold them accountable and and ask questions and demand answers about what they're doing in our name. And, and to me, that was a, a, a takeaway that, and a reminder of where we were, but where we still are. Mm-hmm. The responses on Twitter um, and, and just the attention that it got, uh, your thread there. I, I'm curious, do you feel that the response was so great uh, because of just kind of the authenticity of the, the responses that you got or, or was, were people more responding to maybe just the idea of what your students did, the, the project as a whole? Both actually. Yeah. And, 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 and the second part of that, that I got lots of responses and I, and I, I began when this started trying to like people's, you know, in Twitter, you, when you click the like, you give them a little heart. <laughs> I was trying to like people's comments and I responded to a couple of them. But it quickly kind of took off to the point, and, and again, it's not it's not as viral as some things can go on Twitter, where you get hundreds of thousands of others. But there were a couple thousand. I think there were four or five thousand likes was of the 
thread of the most liked portion of the of the tweet thread was the first one. I think there were four or five thousand likes. Mm-hmm. And then there's likes of likes and people retweet and people like the retweet. So there were thousands of engagements and which was great. Some people, to your second point, said, you know, what a great project this was. And there was lots of praise for good teachers and good teaching. And, you know, that was that was gratifying because, um, you know, I spent a career in a classroom and Mm -hmm. and you often don't know what things are going to mean and going to look like down the road because these kids have a bad, weird habit of graduating. Dang it. And you don't necessarily (laughs) know how it's all going to shake out. And so to hear people kind of reflecting on own their own good teachers that they had and, and complimenting this project, you know, that was, that was a significant piece of the response. And it was great. That was super satisfying and super gratifying. But then there were a lot of people who were responding to, man, this speaks to where we are today politically. Sure. Um, and that was also, I think, uh, significant. So, so it, was, it was both the times, the tenor of the times that we're in, and it was also people reflecting on, hey, this is a, this is a pretty cool project. One, one, one funny response that I recall is that some guy said, my takeaway is don't throw crap away in your files. <laughs> Maybe, maybe, maybe you ought to hang on to it for a while. Yeah. Works out. Yeah. <laughs> One day there will be a, a thing called Twitter where you can post pictures and quotes <laughs> of all of this stuff. Who, who, who knew, right? <laughs> who knew it was going to come to that in 1994? <laughs> so like 5,000 likes, but you don't have a book deal yet for some reason. Is that, is that what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about the three students that that you worked with this project at the time D- did you hear from them at all i did from two of them that that's okay. actually been super fun um one i one i was one was on facebook and she had her name is sherilyn now her her she was sherilyn peak when she was a high school kid mm-hmm. um she's married she's a nurse her name is sherilyn turton um and she is a nurse she taught for a while in in our in my region in the sacramento area she taught for a while, and then she went back, and she's a nurse in, in one of the uh, hospital systems in the greater Sacramento area. And she reached out because because I, ident- I identified the students in this tweet that I named them because yeah. they did the work. You know, it was my you know it was kind of my idea right. with their input, but they were the ones that tracked down the addresses and labeled the envelopes and signed the letters and all that. And so and I named them specifically. And so Sherilyn, Sherilyn reached out to me, and we refriended on Facebook. Nicole Poimaru is actually in government. She works in county government in, oh. in, in uh, Coburn, I believe is her married name now. Nicole Poimaru Coburn, I think that's correct. Uh, and she reached out. And so we've reconnected on Facebook. Um, Aaron Leahy was the third person. And, and I made a couple of efforts to try and kind of track and, and haven't tracked Aaron down. So I don't mm-hmm. know what, what became of Aaron. But, but yeah, it was super fun to kind of catch up a little bit and find out how, how, how they're doing. Um, and you know, they've, they've, they've done well for themselves. So that's, that was fun. That's great. I think journal, student journalists now can learn a thing or two from how, uh, journalists were doing things in 1990s and, and, uh, you know, older than that. Let's learn how to write some letters. <laughs> Indeed, Carl, it, it's, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, story. It's a, 
It's uh, really enjoyed reading some of the responses on, on Twitter that you got from the, the people you, you guys wrote to uh, back at that time. And, and thanks for joining me today to, to talk about this. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah, it's a pleasure. It was a good time today. Thank you. Journalism 101 is a production of School Newspapers Online. The music from this episode is from Pixabay. My interview with Carl was recorded via Zoom, edited on Audacity, and you can listen to more episodes of the show anywhere you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please rate and review us so more journalism aficionados can hear these episodes. Bye for now.